Hello guys, welcome back to the Soul Aligned Self-Care Podcast. Today I get to interview my good friend Marisa Moon, who is a national board certified health and wellness coach, master primal health coach and intermittent fasting coach at marisamoon.com. Ranked as Google's number one intermittent fasting coach since 2018, Marisa recently published a number one new release on Amazon titled Not So Fast, The Smarter, More Gradual Approach to Intermittent Fasting Benefits That Last. Marisa is also recognized as the leading expert in the fasting community, especially when it comes to flexible intermittent fasting strategies that work for real life. Through her relatable coaching style, Marisa helps frustrated dieters put an end to the confusion about what's healthy and finally experience the results that last. Okay, guys, I'm excited for today. Marisa's a good friend, and I have such a huge amount of respect for her. So let's get into it. You're listening to the Soul Aligned Self-Care Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Stinson, and I had a stroke at the age of 39 from stress and burnout that shook my world. Now I'm laying it all out, the deep level self-care practices and mindset shifts that I needed that kept me healthy, balanced, and thriving. Join me in this intimate space as we explore healing, resilience, and the soul's journey to alignment. This is where real conversations about deep level self-care happen. Let's get into it. Hello, Marisa. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, so welcome. It's so great to be here, Tina, especially as buds, but also because we share a, a great passion for helping people live well lives. Yes. Yes. And as buds, we've known each other for, do you know how long we've known each other for? Cause I'm not really sure, but years. Probably since at least four years, maybe more. Maybe more. That's Cause crazy. like before the Five? pandemic, right? I know. Yes. That's nuts. Yeah. That's like a marker for me now. Well, I got my first certification in 2017 and you were with me in the very beginning when I was trying to build my business. So it might've been like 2018 yeah. when you and I connected. Yeah. So it's been a while and we've been connected for a while and we share our absolute love uh, for nutrition and we love to geek out on nutrition, both of us. Yeah. And when we were chatting beforehand and also by email talking about this interview, you said something that really struck me um, and it was kind of like a like a moment for me because I, I forgot about this. And you said nutrition is often dismissed as an element to improve the quality of life. And I just make this automatic assumption that everybody is like me, which is not really a good assumption to make. Um, but I just automatically assume that everybody geeks out on nutrition and they don't. Everybody has their own thing that they geek out on. And, and some people might think that I'm weird or whatever, but um, I didn't, I, I tend to forget this and it, it's very important and people do have like an enormous amount of control over their health and their wellness when it comes to nutrition. So I would love to hear you talk about that a little bit because I know you, I don't really work as a health coach anymore. I work more as a life coach and I know you are really one of the best health coaches that I know. So I would love to hear you talk about that. Thank you. So yes, what she's speaking to directly is that I really emphasize in my new book that you can't just find a solution to your health problems and your weight problems that doesn't involve nutrition. And if you do find one, these benefits that you receive from that solution are going to be short-lived without a doubt. Um, yeah. it, whether your results don't sustain or new issues arise, that is inevitable unless you finally wake up to the fact that nutrition matters. And it sucks. I mean, it's not convenient today. I don't think it sucks because I get into nutrition. But yeah. lucky, you know, most people don't feel that way. Yeah. So even people who do care, let's be real here. Uh, even people who do think it's interesting or do want to be that person who prioritizes nutrition, they don't have time or they are overwhelmed mm -hmm. or they don't have anyone to help or everyone in their household or in their social circle 
could care, couldn't care less about nutrition. And so it doesn't complement their life or their current circumstances. And so they just keep looking for other solutions or being uh, lured in or tricked by uh, the promise of other solutions yeah. because they're just desperate for an answer that doesn't involve the work that yeah. nutrition requires. Yeah, absolutely. I always say it's almost a full-time job to stay alive now because <laughs> I like that. <laughs> you know, it's like you, it's like you know, if you actually are listening to the media and you're and you don't have like a base knowledge or training about uh health and nutrition, it's it's probably so exhausting and so overwhelming because you're hearing all these different things. And even if you get into it and you start reading the studies, everybody can prove their theory, right. Through a study. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's like, how can I really trust the information I'm getting? And, yeah. and, and it, it's, it's a full-time job. It's a full-time job, but I feel like if you, if you find someone like yourself that can, you know, kind of spell it out for you and lay it out for you the way, you know, so they can understand it. So it's something that they could be taught and then, you know, implement in their life, then it, it could be, as you said, life-changing and can improve the mm -hmm. quality of your life. And it's, it's one of those things that if you're, if you're looking to improve the quality of your life, or if you're sick or you're not feeling well, this is one of the things that you have to learn about and have to implement. And so I want to get into something else that you said. Right. Okay. Which was that, which was, I, I was like, okay, yeah, this is true. So what's you said to me, what story do you tell yourself about the value of nutrition in your daily life? And, um, I read, I went into some of the chapters that, you know, talked about this and I was like, this is so interesting because I never really, I, I never think about it. I do still implement nutrition into my programs because it is a part of deep level self-care. You know, you can't not include that in there. It has to be a part of it. And so tell me, explain to me what you mean by that. Your nutrition well, identity. Yes. I, I mean, I was trying to like encapsulate if I needed to come up with a six word title to describe <laughs> what we're talking about. Um, and so that's why I landed on nutrition identity, but for your listeners to kind of get where we're coming from here, we all have a story that is outdated that's running in our mind about who we are. And I just fell in love with this definition of self-sabotage. When I was at a health conference recently, one of the presenters explained self-sabotage as your ego's efforts to maintain an outdated self-image of you. Yeah. And so yeah. <laughs> if you, yeah. So if we think about the concept of ego uh, less in the popular sense, but more in like the Eastern, you know, philosophy sense, it would be that it's um, your ego clings to roles that you play or, um, you know, things that have happened to you or stories about yourself that you now identify with as who you are. Mm -hmm. and, and so when it comes to your uh, nutrition, you might be like, oh, I'll eat anything. Or, um, you know, I, I, pizza is my favorite food in the world. And then all of a sudden this person has to cut out dairy. Like, the, of course, they're really going to struggle with that because their whole life, they've been the pizza person. They've been the one that has a pizza blog and they've yeah. been the one that tries pizza in every city. And of course, it's going to stand in the way of you making progress or prioritizing nutrition to heal yourself because you're conflicted and it, mm -hmm. rightfully so. Of course, that's going to be difficult and you're going to self-sabotage. And that's a very simple uh, example that's very specific. Mm -hmm. But uh, some of us have ones, like the one that I give in my book is, you know, let's say that someone really identifies as a mom and who does anything for their kids and puts their kids first. Now, maybe you don't know, like fleshed out what that is doing to your day-to-day decision-making or like how you treat yourself. Maybe mm -hmm. you've never looked that deeply into what that self-image is doing to you or how you use it against yourself mm -hmm. per se. Um, but, you know, there comes a time when mom's needs are not being met and mom's health is suffering. Yeah. And so then we turn inward when we say, how can we stop putting, st like um, stop enabling this egoic sort of, you know, story, a narrative about who I am, how can we 
prevent that from causing me to do self-sabotage. So let's get specific here. If you're like, I put my kids first, that might mean, which I see all the time with my clients is that my kids want to eat all this junk food. And so I have this junk food all over my house and I can't help it at night. I end up eating it. Or when I'm making my kids lunch, I'm eating all the goldfish crackers and the graham crackers. Or when it's time for dinner, my husband doesn't like this food and my kids don't like this food. And I, you know, I really want to make my family happy. So I'm just making the food they eat. Yeah. And of course, those are very understandable frustrations and obstacles. Absolutely. Yeah. But you will be forced to face this like a fork in the road when you decide once and for all, you want to do something to change your health, the way you feel or your quality of life, those things are going to be up against each other. And so revising your self-image doesn't mean I no longer put my kids first. It's just like, how can taking care of myself resonate with this self-image, you know, so that everybody wins, you know, I always put my kids first and by leading as an example of someone who cares for their health, I'm looking out for my kids' best interests. I'm teaching them to care for their own health because they see me making those hard decisions myself. Yeah. You know, there's lots of ways you can shift the perspective or reframe it so that now this self-image is working for you. And sometimes you have to rewrite it all together. You know, sometimes yeah. maybe your kids, maybe you're an empty nester now, and maybe you're just not used to thinking about yourself or you don't know what your new self story will be about who you are and your relationship with food. And that's something, you know, we can, we can walk through. I love that. I just love that perspective. I do the same thing in my work and there's so many layers to the mom putting her kids first and putting her family first. And there's just so many layers because as women, and this is changing over time. I noticed this changing with the younger generations, but we're taught that this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take care of these people. We are supposed to, this is what we're valued for, right? It, the woman who sacrifices herself, you know, we hear it all the time. Oh, look at her. Look how well she takes care of her kids. She does everything for her kids. Mm -hmm. And like, she gets honored, but then like the second she looks like all run down and tired and sick. They're like, wow, she's really letting herself go. You know, like there's, <laughs> there's just, mm -hmm. there's so many layers to it. And so they're doing, like, I feel like a lot of women, including myself are doing what they think is what's expected of them, you know, and what society expects of them, how they think, how they, um, they're taught they're going to be judged. And on top of that, they're just unwavering love for their family and caring and how tiring it is to have a family and how easy it is to stick one of those uh, pizza bagels in your mouth instead of making yourself a healthy meal. And uh, one of the things I always say to my clients is when you put yourself first and you take care of yourself first, then you get to put the best version of yourself into the world. And mm. so you get to share that version with your children and your partner and your business and whoever's in your life. And it has that ripple effect. And like you said, a good example of that is, you know, you make this wonderful meal and it might need, might not be what your kids want to eat and they might give you trouble about it, but after a while they're watching and they're learning. And one of the things I noticed as my kids grew up into adults was that they, they were watching the whole time. Maybe they harassed me about it. They gave me a whole lot of crap about it, but they were watching me the whole time because I see them doing it now as adults, what they learned from me. You know what I wow. mean? Yeah. And so there's just so many, so many layers to that. And, and it's, um, I think that's an important shift to make. And, and then the empty nester thing, I think, uh, and I'm sure you see this too, is like, um, learning to cook for, you know, less people, you know, mm -hmm. you know, and then maybe if the person is alone, you know, like, so mm -hmm. a single parent, maybe it's like, oh, should I really just make such a big deal about me? Maybe I'll just, just, you know, I'll just snack tonight, yep. you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I love the, the thought I've never thought about it this way. So I love the thought of like rewriting and reframing your identity to what you what you want it to be and what would be a healthier like version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it might change over time, you know, like it's kind of like this, the whole concept of affirmations, uh, you know, we've all experienced this like feeling like affirmations are, you know, not, they don't feel true to me. So they don't work for me. 
you know, I'm beautiful. I am strong. Like whatever the thing is that you're trying to talk yourself into, but when, when you look into it more or you see different experts point of view on affirmations, you know, it can be so powerful if you're willing to take baby steps to sort of compromise with the voice in your head. Mm-hmm. So firstly, I would like to say all of us need to start separating the voice in our head from who we are. We are not the voice in our head. The voice in our head is the sum of all of our experiences and our yeah. warped perception of what occurred and what we remember. And um, it also is uh, playing like the same tapes over and over and over that no longer fit in this context. And so when we're, when we think of the voice in our head as it's something separate, we got to think of it like, how can I negotiate with this voice? How can I compromise with this voice so we can meet halfway? And so maybe your, your revision, your, your revised self image or persona um, is going to not be so ideal at first, but it's going to be a step in the right direction. You Mm -hmm. know, so maybe let's just talk about someone who's saying like, the extreme. I, I hate healthy foods or I hate vegetables. I actually hear that from people sometimes. I hate vegetables. Yeah. yeah. Maybe they always hated vegetables since mm-hmm. they were a little kid. It's quite common. They had a problem with textures or they mm-hmm. never liked vegetables or their family never cooked. And so they never ate vegetables. And then anytime they tried to cook them themselves, they suck. They use frozen vegetables and they don't know what they're doing. And they're Canned just vegetables. gross. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> these are common issues too. So don't yeah. be embarrassed if I'm describing this um, you'd be surprised how many people come from that, that experience. So yes. if your story is, I hate vegetables or I never eat vegetables. Can you imagine like the power that has over you and your ability to change what you eat? Mm-hmm. You've been telling the story for likely decades of your life and it's automatic and subconscious. So it's, you know, even if it's conscious and you tell everybody this all the time and it's how you lead with like your preferences of food, it's, it's not apparent, I'm sure that it's in the way of everything that you really want now. So how would you go from, I hate vegetables to, you know, I'm someone who is open to trying new vegetables. Well, first of all, there's one way you could say I'm someone who's open or I'm open to trying new vegetables. I may not like them, but I'm staying open, you know? Um, But if that's not the language, like you would use to talk to yourself, you can say something like, I always hated vegetables, but I'm ready to change that. You know, I always hated vegetables, but that's not working for me anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, something like that. Like, yes, that's true. You always were someone who hated vegetables. Fine. Um, But how can we sort of just shape that in a way that makes sense for the next phase of your life, the next chapter, which is going to include vegetables one way or another. That's the, that's the hope, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I always like, I'm trying to remember who, what coach said this. I think it was Catherine Zinkina, who is like manifestation babe, but she says with affirmations in order to like take those baby steps, she uses the word, I'm the type of person. Yes. Yeah. And I always liked that because you could say, well, yeah, I've always hate vegetables, but now I'm the type of person who's willing to start trying vegetables. And mm-hmm. because, yeah, you know, going from, I hate vegetables to, oh, I absolutely love vegetables. They're scrumptious and I eat them every day is like driving a car a hundred miles an hour and just making a sharp right turn. You know what I mean? So it's, yep. it's like you're going to crash and burn, you know, but if you slow the car down and then you, you know, you make the turn slowly, then it, it's more, you'll have more success yeah. with it, you know? Yeah. And so um, that I, I like that terminology or that wording. It works for me. And so that's how I like doing it. Um, so how do you guide people to change this narrative? What's, what, what kind of work, how do you guide them through it? Well, this is important if you're someone who does self-sabotage, you know, I, I do see clients using that language, like on their intake forms, they're like, oh, I'm doing great. And then I self-sabotage. Um, So that might mean like you're trying not to eat so many sweets anymore and you know you shouldn't eat them and you know they make you feel like crap and you've removed them so many times and you know better. Okay, so I hear that a lot. I know better. Um, But there's this part of you that's just at, you know, whether it's at night or when you're stressed or when nobody's home or whatever, it's like you're just like, hook it, you know, you're like, screw it. And you just eat it anyway. And people describe it as self-sabotage because they feel like that's myself making that choice, Mm -hmm. but um, I'm doing it even though I know it's not in my best interest. And so if we start from a place like that, 
we have to really think, and you know, pen and paper work so well here because you got to get it out of your head in order to make sense of it or typing. You don't need pen and paper if you want to type it and just ramble about thoughts that come to mind about this. So what story or what outdated self-image could be making those decisions when it's time to sabotage? So what story or, you know, self-image that you've held about you your whole life or recently or whatever in your relationship to sugar, what could it be that says you deserve it? That's a good mm -hmm. one. Okay. Yeah. I deserve it. So that it. might be, yeah, it might be because like I've had a long day and when I have a long day, I deserve a treat and a treat mm -hmm. is sugar. Yes. And so this outdated self-image could be, you know, something you've never articulated before, first of all, but you come to the conclusion through journaling and, and writing all this out, like, oh my God, like my ego wants me to turn to sweets in order to reward myself for the stress that I have faced. Mm -hmm. And so that to you doesn't sound like a self-image, but it's really just an inner narrative. You know, it's, it's a story that is defining you and dictating your decisions subconsciously. I mean, this absolutely bonkers that we even have to worry about this, but it's very real. Mm -hmm. And so once you sort of like can identify that, then you can start to revise it, you know, because if you're, if you're thinking, and it could be deeper than that. I just want to say, it's not just, I turn to that to reward myself. It could be like, oh my God, like my whole family does that. When I was a kid, my mom would say, don't cry. Here's ice cream. Exactly. Or, yeah. That's so, exactly what it, where it comes from a lot of times. Yes, exactly. And so it could be like my family comforts us or, you know, I am someone who, or I come from a family who comforts you with sweets when you feel uncomfortable or when you've had a hard time. Mm -hmm. And so that is just broader and not so much self-blame. Like I'm an emotional eater. Like I, you know, it's not you, it's so much bigger than that. Yeah. Once you separate yourself from it, get it on some paper and see, then you can really start to like mold that little by little into something that's helpful. So you might say, you know, I've always been someone whose, you know, first instinct is to turn to sugar when I've had a bad day. When I need comfort. Yeah. Yeah. But now I'm looking for new ways to reward myself, yeah. you know, so you don't even know what those rewards are yet. You don't even know if you're going to succeed at it yet. That's not the story that you need to tell yourself yet. Yeah. Like we reach our way there. Like a great example of this is, you know, as a health coach, I've been somewhat ashamed that I don't love exercise. I like being active if it's incorporated in things I'm doing or with people that yeah. initiate it, but I, I'm not like one that's naturally inclined to exercise. And that bothers me because I'm coaching people and telling them how important physical activity is. And I can't get myself to freaking do it or stay motivated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the story that I always tell myself is I hate exercise. I hate exercise. I can't hold an exercise habit. I hate exercising. I can't make exercise and habit. Like how limiting is that? Yeah, that's very limiting because you don't hate exercise. You like movement. You hate structured exercise. Yeah. Or <laughs> it's not even that it's just, I hate exercising alone or hate self-managing my exercise or hate mm -hmm. you know, like whatever. It's, yeah. It's, it's a lot of things, but to, to move back to the analogy here, it's like, I don't want to say I hate exercise anymore. So instead, what I say is I am determined to find a form of exercise that I'm excited to do. Mm -hmm. So that's, and that's very true for me. You yeah. know, you might be determined to find something to turn to when you're stressed besides sugar. Mm -hmm. And that can become the new story that you tell yourself. You haven't found it yet. Yeah. <laughs> because I tell myself this story because I am determined and I have proof of that because I'm constantly trying new things and getting creative about how I can make exercise fit in my life constantly. And so, uh, you know, if you are determined, then that can be the new story that you tell yourself until you find a solution. It's not really about consistency, like everyone makes you think. Um, 
it would be nice if we could all be consistent with healthy habits. It would be nice if I could consistently work out all the time, but what's going to serve me more in the long run is if I'm persistent. Yes. I, I persist agree. in my efforts to change. If I persist in my pursuit to find solutions, I will succeed one day. I will find the solution that works for me one day, as mm -hmm. long as I don't quit. And that's my attitude about exercise. And that's the attitude you can have to find another outlet besides sugar that helps you when you're feeling pissed off, stressed, overworked, resentful, fill in the blank. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really important, um, the difference between con consistency and persistence, because people look at themselves as a failure when they have one bad day or something, and then they, they have that one d bad day, and then they just like hop off the wagon all together, and they just like go off, instead of just saying, oh, well, I just had a day, and just keep on with it the next day, you know, don't judge that's yourself. That's ridiculous to have. Yeah. Honestly, it's kind of a ridiculous expectation to begin with because mm -hmm. nothing in your day-to-day -day life is consistent except maybe your morning routine and your evening routine. Like yeah. most people do not have like a groundhog day where the same freaking thing from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep and nobody's going to interrupt that. Nobody's going to interfere with that. And everything is predictable. How can you be consistent if nothing that is happening is consistent? That's a good That's point. So, so really, it's, it's so true. You have no control over what's going to happen on a day-to-day -day basis, the weather, you know, just the way you feel like there's so many different things, the people. And then if you have all these other people in your life, the way oh, yeah. they feel what's happening with them and what's going on in their life. And so, yeah, nothing is consistent. And so trying to stay consistent on a daily basis and like that exacting kind of a way is impossible. And if you put that expectation on yourself, of course, you're going to feel like a failure and then you're going to give up instead of just being persistent, like you said, where it's like, okay, well that, that was a day, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm just going to do better tomorrow, I guess. I don't know. Exactly. I mean, this all comes down to self-compassion, honestly, and self-compassion is a very misunderstood word or misinterpreted word. I heard it explained once finally in a way that makes sense to me that I can accept and it is having patience with yourself. So it's yeah. not like I, oh, everything I do is fine and poor me and, mm -hmm. you know, self-compassion, like it's okay. You ate the bag of Doritos three nights this week, you know, like, I don't know. I'm just saying like, it's not that it's, it's more um, about having patience with yourself for these events, these singular events or repetitious events in the context of the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So when you're upset that something derailed your plan to eat a healthy meal um, and interfered, you know, or influenced you to make a bad decision, it is not like you're falling off the wagon because that one thing happened. Yeah. It is really a smaller snapshot of a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So if we just pause to think, how does this show up in a pattern in my life? How does this, how is this like a cyclical thing that I go through? Have I overcame it before and use that to empower you? Like mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll have to confess, I guess you could say my um, patterns or my, my cyclical uh, patterns with uh, nighttime snacking and with ice cream. So I know that snacking at night too close to bedtime is really detrimental to my sleep. And after having chronic fatigue in the past, that was quite debilitating. I really became so like militant about getting good sleep because it's just so apparent how much it affects my mental health and my, my stress tolerance and emotional stability and more. And so um, sleep is so important to me, but I still self-sabotage with this nighttime snacking habit every once in a while. But what I realized is it's very cyclical for me. Like I'm going to start snacking at night again at some point. Mm -hmm. And when it happens, I'm going to let it happen for about three weeks in a row until I'm finally like, oh, I'm doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> or like, all right, I've done it enough. I'm sick of it. I'm ready to stop. Yeah. And so it's sort of like this. I know I'm going to stop. I just want to do it a little longer. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, I, now I'm done. Like I really need better sleep. Or I really need to 
take care of my health better. And I stop. So then it's like, I'm implementing all of these little, like, you know, fail safes to make sure that that is possible. Like I'm not buying my favorite chips anymore. I'm Mm -hmm. telling my husband what time I'm stopping eating. I'm setting an alarm when it's 10 minutes before I'm supposed to stop eating. So if I want to grab a quick snack real fast, fast, I can still have that snack and it feels rewarding. And then the time is up. And, you know, that's a lot of self-management, not Mm -hmm. self-discipline. You know, it's just sort of managing, like what kind of solutions can we implement and how can we, um, you know, separate ourselves from this emotionally so that we just think of it kind of like a task at work. Like, how would I solve this problem? And then back to what the original thought is, I can say, I know I do this like once every few months, I'm going to snack again at night and that's fine because I know I'm going to stop. Yeah. And I do that with ice cream too. I might just get into this flow where first it starts where I eat ice cream twice a week. And then all of a sudden I'm eating ice cream four times a week. And then all of a sudden I want ice cream every night after dinner. And yeah. I'm like, Oh, it's happening again. This happens yeah. every year, probably <laughs> twice a year, but it's okay. Cause I always stop. And then I stop buying the ice cream. So that's not even in the freezer to begin with. And it's not that I can never have ice cream or I swear off ice cream or I'm mad at myself for eating the ice cream. It's just that I'm like, okay, I had my fix. I went through my little ice cream phase and now I'm ready to clean up again. And mm-hmm. so I get that stuff out of my house. I start to strategize if anything else needs to replace that. Or if I'm, you know, I have the confidence now that I can just go without it because I've done that so many times. And that's where the bigger picture comes in handy. Like, how is this a part of your life in a cyclical fashion? And mm-hmm. it can be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's huge. And I, I would, I would, I would say too, and I see this with other things in, in my coaching, once you like acknowledge something and you're aware of it and you know, like you said, I've had success before, I know I can stop, then sometimes you move through it quicker, you know? So it's almost, you know, it's almost like, uh, I always talk about having the pity party when you're feeling sad. It's like, a lot of people will, they won't allow themselves to be sad. They're like, Oh God, I have to be positive. I can't just sit here. And, and I'm like, no, just like once I allowed myself to have the pity party and give myself the space, I, I it started off as I'm just going to give myself a day to sit on the couch and cry oh, yeah. and watch sad movies. Right. And, and then I moved through it. And then the next day I was fine instead of pushing it back and pushing it back where it would be around for like a week or so, or maybe even longer, you know, cause I wouldn't acknowledge it. Right. But once you acknowledge it and then you allow yourself to move through it, then after that, you could do it quicker. So now so necessary. When, when I need the pity party, it's like an hour because after that, I'm like, all right, I think I'm done. Like, like, I feel oh like God. I'm wasting time at that point. So I would imagine with once you can acknowledge these cycles that you have, um, and I never thought of implement implementing it that way. I am a forever, I'm the sugar. Like you were talking about me when you were talking about sugar before, like, Oh, I deserve this. I had such a bad day. Mm-hmm. Like four Kit Kats, you know? And so like, that's me a hundred percent. And yes, my mom was always like, here is some cookies, you know, you feel better. And, you know, she meant well, and I probably did the same thing to my kids. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, and I, and I, I'm aware of it. I'm totally aware of it. And then sometimes I'm like, okay, Tina, how can you give yourself comfort or celebrate in a different way, you know, to move out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I love, um, implementing it the way you talked about it. I never thought to do that. So I'm going to have to try that. You know, that's, uh, it's funny because I do that with other things, but I never thought to do it with food. So that's kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, it's, it also may not matter. Like let's remind ourselves, you know, I, this reminds me of a client I had, I didn't know him. I do these impromptu coaching calls where people can just book 30 minutes with me and they're a stranger. I don't know them, Mm -hmm. Um, but um, they can be very productive because the person comes, they know exactly what they want to talk about. And, you know, I'm usually able to address it because of the experiences I've had, but this guy came to me and he was doing everything right. Like by the book, he even was on a sabbatical. He moved to Mexico, living in this beautiful place on, on a golf course and like eating all cooking, all his food from scratch, buying it from local farms. Like you name it. This guy was like, I'm doing meditation. I'm doing yoga, blah, blah. blah. And he was just so hard on himself because he couldn't get himself to stick with his meditation and yoga practice. And he said, I don't think it makes me less stressed. I think it brings more stress into my life. And I said, what if it's because you don't need it? Mm -hmm. Like you're doing all these other things to eliminate the stress from your life. 
And so maybe the yoga and meditation right now is just another thing that you have to do when you're trying to do less stuff. Yeah. Whereas like somebody in the hustle bustle of their daily life has to do yoga or meditation to sort of, you know, bring their nervous system back down and cope with the stress that they face. Um, but, you know, he had already done so many things to eliminate those stressors that it was just kind of like, he thought I got to do it. So I'm bringing this up because you said every once in a while, and I'm upset, I will treat myself to some Kit Kats. Mm -hmm. And I said, does it matter? Yeah. Because yeah. you think it matters because you know better, because you know what's in those Kit Kats, because you know you have a sugar habit or because you it's candy junk and mm -hmm. you're into nutrition. But then you like might look back and I, I say, Tina, when's the last time you did that? Yeah, exactly. And then maybe you're like, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe I'm, I'm going to say, does it really matter? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. And uh, one of the things I always tell myself, and I don't know if this is productive or not, but I eat a very clean diet and I don't eat a lot of processed foods. So there's not a lot of sugar in my diet to begin with. And so I always tell myself, well, this isn't like half of what most other people eat. You know? Right. <laughs> right. I don't know yeah. if that's very appropriate or healthy, yep. but I, yeah, I don't do it that much. And, and I, and I do, I do the same thing as you. It's like a cycle and I could recognize mm -hmm. it. And then I'm like, okay, maybe I should stop buying chocolate. You know, I'm eating it like every single night, you know, it's like right after I yeah. eat my dinner, something little sweet treat, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it starts off slow, like you said, and then you're like, okay. So I yeah. just stopped buying it, you know, and there's certain things I don't buy because I know that I can't be trusted with them, you know? Yeah. But that's the thing. You're like a boundary that you just recognize that you need. And, mm -hmm. you know, for some people it's like, they don't want to be told they can't do something yeah. so, <laughs> even by themselves. And so we sort of come up with a boundary that is a compromise. And so we're like, you know, to what point is it detrimental snack? let's say you, you have a habit of eating right before you go to bed but you want to stop because your sleep hasn't been so great or you're trying to lose weight and your metabolism is messed up. So you're like, but you know, uh, you know, when the kids go to bed, it's like the only time that I can really have to myself. And you've got all these reasons why you're like, I really don't want to stop that habit. Mm -hmm. And we say, okay, so at what point is it detrimental? And what I mean by that is, is it, is it bad because it's a habit and you have to do it every night? Is it bad because after two nights in a row of bad sleep, your third day is hell on, on this earth. Because if you are able to define that, then you can say, okay, I can snack at night as long as it's not more than two nights in a row. Yeah. So then your, your goal doesn't become to stop snacking at night. It just becomes to be aware. Oh, I snacked the last two nights. So tonight I got to do something different with my time so that I don't want to snack, you yeah. know? And that might just be, I'm not sitting on the couch in the same spot, watching the same shows and, you know, all these things that sort of trigger that reaction. Yeah. Yeah. That's really smart. It's a, it's a really, I swear to God, I think baby steps is the solution to everything. Sometimes just taking those small steps and having like those big wins over time. It just makes such a huge difference. That's why the name of my book is not so fast because you'd think it's all about fasting, but it's not. I'm like, I'm saying not so fast throughout the book in so many ways, because it's like, you want to change this? Not so fast. You got to think about all these variables that are going to make that more challenging or that you need to assess or the nuance that's required because you're a unique individual or because like people will come to me and be like, I really want to, um, you know, start eating healthy again. And, um, I need to start meal prepping, blah, blah, blah. And I'll say, cool. So, um, have you ever meal prepped before? And they'll say, no. I hate cooking. I'm terrible at cooking. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. when's the last time you cooked dinner? And they'll be like, well, um, I don't know. Usually my husband kind of cooks the meat and then maybe like, I'll just heat up something, um, for a side for the kids or make the mac and cheese and that's it. And then I'll be like, okay, so how do we get from this person to the person who meal preps? Is yeah. that realistic? And then a lot of times you're like, well, I mean, that's what you got to do, right? That if I'm going to be healthy, healthy and I eat healthy foods, I can't afford to just buy all these meals. And so I have to start cooking them. And I'm like, okay, so not so fast. Yeah. We're not going into like, all of a sudden you're this person who meal preps. Yeah. Like if you're not used to grocery shopping right now. If you're not used to prepping any vegetables or cutting or washing anything or keeping track of what's in your fridge right now, that's another thing you need to learn. If you're not used to cooking or how to cook or what you like to cook or what you're good at cooking, that's another obstacle. And when, when are you going to cook? When are you going to feel like cooking? And like, when does it fit into your schedule? And so instead, what if we just start with 
um, preparing a healthy snack two times a week. You yeah. Know? So right yeah. now you're eating snacks that are from a bag and you want to eat healthier. So what if instead you slice up some cucumber sticks and you get some hummus from the store that you top with maybe some olive oil and, and paprika, make it feel special. And then that's your fresh snack that you made. When's the last time you've done anything like that? Oh, I've never, never really done that. I bought the cucumbers, but they rotted in my fridge. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This, that's why this is a great place to start. And then yeah. once that becomes something that you're willing to make more time for, or you make snacks, homemade snacks for you and the kids several nights a week, you know, or trust me, if you're naturally inclined to make dinner one night, do it. Yeah. I'm not stopping. I'm not saying you can't go faster. I'm just saying if we don't consider in a more fair uh, assessment of where you're coming from, then you're setting yourself up for failure and disappointment. That's, yeah. you know, just a waste of your time, even though you want that fixed because it's faster. It's mm -hmm. not faster if it doesn't work. Yeah, I, absolutely. You're just setting yourself up for failure if you're going from that to like meal prepping, like meal yeah. prepping, um, getting to the point of meal prepping takes some time, I think. Um, especially, yeah. you know, like you said, there's so many people out there. Like I would say the majority of people, you tell me if you agree that grew up in a house where cooking wasn't done and have, they don't really cook. They might prepare yep. things that are already right. ready. And that's what I found. And so yep. the majority of people like are starting from that point. Yep. Me too. Okay. That's what we find. Let's go back to your book. I want to talk okay. a little bit about your book. So Thanks. it's called Not So Fast. And I want to congratulate you. This is a huge deal. And I'm so excited for you. Thank Can you, you just tell, um, tell people what it's about? And I would like, I would also like you to talk about fasting a little bit. Cool. So Not So Fast, the subtitle is The Smarter, More Gradual Approach to Intermittent Fasting Benefits That Last. And essentially, this book is about how much of a nuanced approach you want to consider with intermittent fasting and healthy lifestyle changes because you want something that lasts once and for all. You're sick of all the shortcuts, even though you're desperate for one, I get it. You know that something's got to change on a bigger scale and that's when this book is appropriate for you. It's not it's not something, you know, I wanted to advertise, like it's going to take longer. It's a more gradual approach. But I said, you know, it's just the plain and simple truth. It, I've uh -huh. been coaching this for so long in so many groups and so many individuals that I saw, first of all, in the intermittent fasting space, you guys, there is a really famous book by a wonderful woman, but I hate this book. <laughs> I like the, woman, the author, but the book is called delay, don't deny, don't buy it. <laughs> I was about saying that, but it, I received so many clients coming to me after using that method and, and failing or gaining all the way back. And just like the name sounds delay, don't deny. And this is not just about this book. It's about the fasting community in a big way. It's just fast longer to clean up all your messes. So you don't have to change wow. the hard things in your life. So you don't have to eat nutritious foods. So you don't have to eat healthy foods or give up your ice cream and sugar and wow. cakes and pies and, and pizzas and everything. And so that's what it's about. Don't deny yourself the foods that you love just fast longer. And of course, to Tina, this makes a lot of sense, but for our listeners, fasting is a stressor. That's why it works when it works. Mm -hmm. Fasting is a stressor called a hormetic stressor. So it was exercise or exercise. Um, there's lots of things, cold plunging or cryotherapy, uh, infrared saunas. All of these cause a stress on your body that is just enough when at the appropriate dose, just enough stress to make your genes, literally your DNA react in a way that makes you stronger or better or healthier. And so it's a beneficial adaptation known as hormesis. But when you abuse it or misuse it, it causes a maladaptation or undesirable results because the stress is too much that your system buckles underneath it and causes you to plateau, become hungrier. You know, honestly, there's just a million things, but if we think about it in the context of exercise, a lot of people have an easier time understanding this. We know if, if I wanted to run a marathon, 
all of a sudden mm-hmm. I'm all inspired because I'm going through a breakup and my friend's running a marathon and I'm like, I want to run a marathon change my life. But I haven't ran since high school, like literally have not run more than a mile since high school. Do I start training for this marathon running 10 miles tomorrow? Absolutely Everybody not. Knows that is the most ridiculous thing. Yeah. So <laughs> what would happen if I did? I mean, first of all, I wouldn't make the 10 miles. It's very unlikely I would make those 10 miles. But if I did, I would, I might get injured. It might take me all day and be the worst experience of my whole life. And I'll never want to run again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I could go on, but you get the point. Yeah. So with fasting, we have to train our body for fasting. We have to train our fasting muscles. We're not just training our body either. We're training our mind and we're learning how this works with the circumstances of our life right now. And so not so fast was created to show people how to use my reset method, which is what inspired the whole book. I've been teaching the reset method for intermittent fasting, which um, comes from reset as an acronym. So Uh each letter in the word reset describes a phase of introducing your body to intermittent fasting in a way that can be in a lasting lifestyle. So anybody can start intermittent fasting safely and comfortably with the reset method, no matter who you are, no matter if you're like, I would never fast. I hate fasting. I've ran so many groups where people are like, I'm not interested in fasting, but we start them all on this 12 hour intermittent fast because, you know, depending who you ask, they used to not consider 12 hours a fast. Yeah. You know, they ask you to fast 12 hours when you're getting blood work done, you're going in for surgery, all these other things. So it is effective and it does make a difference. And I think all of us should be going 12 hours without food. Yeah, absolutely. Overnight, obviously. Yeah. Um, So that's a good starting point. So um, when we think about the reset acronym, R is reduced carbs. E is eat nourishing foods. S is start with 12 hours. The next E is extend your fast. And the T is thoughtfully adapt. That's changed over the years, but um, it's a very important part of making into a lifestyle. So the first three phases are some of the things we've been talking about today. Reducing carbs also means reducing sugar, Mm -hmm. but it's not like you got to go keto, low carb. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not like you had to be obsessive about these things, just like how you're introducing your body gradually to fasting. You're introducing your body gradually to carbohydrate moderation or reduction. And the same thing with eat nourishing foods. We don't expect you to do this complete life overhaul. We want something that turns into something sustainable because you enjoy it. And so when you do those things together at the same time, gradually reducing your carbs, working on eating more nutritious foods and diversifying your diet, and then starting with 12 hours, you realize all of them work together to make them easier. And so that when it is time to extend your fast and make it a little longer than 12 hours, using my method, not so fast, you are waiting until you've been four to seven days. Usually if we're at 12 hours, we're going seven days straight, including weekends where 12 hours is effortless and comfortable Uh before we move on to the next increment. So if you have one great day where 12 hours is great, you might be excited. I'm going to try 13 tomorrow. Or if you have three days where 12 hours was not so bad Uh and you're like, I'm watching the clock, but I can do this. Like I'm excited to lose weight. I'm going to go to 13 and then you try 13 hours and then it's the weekend and all these things are different about your schedule or you didn't get sleep the night before. All of a sudden 13 hours is hard. And then you're like, screw it. And then before you know it, you already stopped because you don't even want to try anymore. And you're like, I've screwed up. Like people have all kinds of stories that make them quit prematurely. Mm-hmm. If you use this approach instead, you wait until you're comfortable. So that's like saying, you know, you run one mile and if one mile is really hard, you just keep running one mile each day yeah. until that becomes easier and you have the confidence like, okay, no, I, this is good. I feel really good. I'm ready to do a mile and a half or two miles. And that's the same thing with fasting. You're going 12 hours, then you're trying 12 and a half hours and you're sticking with 12 and a half hours until you're, it's effortless and comfortable until you go to 13 hours and so on. And so just that alone is enough for people often to make huge changes with their, their health by implementing the reset method. So anybody can grab that guide for free on my website. It's marisamoon.com slash IF freedom. So the IF stands for intermittent fasting, IF freedom. And so um, grab that guide. It's a 24 page ebook and you know there's plenty of coaching to go along with it. And by all means, grab the book if you want a deeper dive, but that's essentially you know the whole reason. The book just goes into a lot more than that acronym can because one entire part of the book is dedicated to sleep. Another is, is dedicated to stress yeah. and 
all the aspects we need to consider, including women's hormones and including just the, all the, the, the stressors that you face daily and how that affects your body's stress tolerance for fasting. Yeah. And that, and like you said, when we first started talking about the book, it's not just a fasting book. And, no. and when I started reading it and I haven't finished it yet, I can't wait to finish it. Um, it's, you know, it's, 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 I don't know what I would call it, but it, it goes into so many different things. And mm -hmm. I, yeah, it's, it's a great book. Thank um, you. Those links will be in the show notes too. I'll leave those links in the show notes, but um, let everybody know how they can, can connect with you further. Like, where do you hang out on social media? How can they connect with you? Yes. Well, I'm primarily on Instagram, I'd say. And Instagram, you can find me at Marisa underscore moon underscore. And I'm also on Facebook, Marisa Moon, Marisa Moon Wellness. My website's marisamoon.com. And, um, you know, if you're getting this broadcast, like this episode airs before March 12th, go ahead and grab the book on Kindle because it's $5.99 for pre-order right now. So that is such a killer price. It's a big book, that but is a killer um, price. it's big because I intentionally made a lot of white space, a lot of bulleted lists so that you could take in this like you know, gargantuan amount of information in a way that is digestible and not overwhelming. And so I could have had the book be 300 pages, but it's over 400 because of those choices that I made. And I've heard over and over again, how easy it is to read this book. And I wrote it in the way that I talk to. So I really hope that, um, if you're interested, you will check out the book and 599 pre-order is a deal. So support me in this launch phase. If, if you're interested, because I'm trying to reach the bestseller status, how cool would it be if I could say that I'm a bestseller right now? It's the number one so new cool. release. So it's, Woo! it's definitely climbing and it's possible. That is possible. Oh, that's very exciting. So let's help Marisa get to like Thank you. bestseller. <laughs> that Thank is a so good deal. That. That's an awesome deal on Kindle. So that's a really good deal. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on and I hope to have you on again in the future. At some point we could talk yeah. about so many different topics. Um, so thank you once again. And um, thank you, Tina. all the information about Marisa will be in the show notes so you can connect with her. Awesome. Bye. Bye.